Welcome to the seventh episode of Demol Belgi Germany Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who regularly asks children to be nice to him in his second language, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I sort of warned you that this episode was good because I I said this on the Bothers Bar Discord. I'm very glad that I had 24 hours to kind of compress my feelings about this episode because it veered from, I would say, shock to shock in this episode. It was a fun, fun episode. It's one of the strongest you've ever done in Belgium, I think. Yeah, lots of lots of twists and turns, I would say. When Germany was announced, I was hoping and praying they'd do something like a fairy tale themed challenge, like they did with the Greek fables last year, and it happened. And then we had the sheer insanity of the parking challenge as well, and the haunted house challenge, and then the ending. Like I'm, I'm so glad that I had a full twenty four hours to to sleep on on this episode because i think if we'd done this 24 hours earlier i would have been way too hyper about this episode yeah without being able to think everything through that happened yeah because the thing is with this final three skip into the end of the episode with this final three i could plausibly see any of them being the mole hasn't this final three been like my top three suspects for god knows how many weeks now (laughs) uh yeah in fact in week three you had all three of them in your top three yeah, because I'm like, I'm pretty, because Philip I ruled out a long time ago. This cast, not so much. We had actually had this conversation with Jill's of why do contestants think people are the mole who either one or both of us consistently rule out every season? So it's interesting that you get a different perspective of, I guess it's just a different atmosphere when you're in the game playing, trying to figure out who is being genuinely suspicious as opposed to trying to be suspicious and then watching the edited omnipresent version from from the comfort of your own home yeah i think that helps but also we have an entire week to digest the information whereas they have maybe a day maybe two days their suspicions are a lot more whistle stop than ours would be given we're doing these suspicions over the space of seven weeks and they're doing it over the space of three weeks yeah so the execution happens on day 20 or 21 so previously, the final five were challenged to follow Gilles' golden rule and not write anything down about the mole. When they were faced with dossiers on each other and the chance to write things down, Philip and Yasmin crumbled, costing the group 4,000 euros. As in the DDR, betrayal was rewarded as those who didn't crumble could bid for the right to accuse someone else and earn themselves an exemption. Lennart won the bidding and his correct guess of Philip won him safety, but cost the group a massive 10,000 euros. Yasmin's sneakiness didn't pay off as she made a crash landing and exited the game in fifth place. And as we said last week, the beginning bit of this episode is actually fairy tale themed. Excellent. And pays tribute to two of Germany's most famous sons, the Brothers Grimm. We get a recap of the season and everyone eliminated so far, including Jens, who's pretty much an afterthought by this point, I think. And we are told that the final four will spend the night in a haunted mansion. No one knows what to expect, except for the mole. And my favourite description of anyone was, of course, Samina being described as the Spanish Fury. I think there's a boxer who has that nickname. Maybe that's a clue. Maybe that boxer is someone's favourite boxer. A boxer as an actual boxer, a boxer as as in a dog. A double-layered reference. And the Brothers Grimm get the quote for the start of the episode? They do. Do you want to attempt it, or do you want me to do the German? I I wrote the English translation of it, so that's much easier. (laughs) <laughs> so the opening quote is Vertrauen nicht je mandem Der dear nix vertrauen can Never trust someone who cannot trust you Which is a quote from the Brothers Grimm 
And I've just Googled Spanish Fury, by the way. It's a a siege from Antwerp, apparently, during oh. the Eighty Years' War. That's interesting. Maybe that's a reference. Maybe that's also why they thought it was Philip. Maybe they thought he was in that war. And it is day 17 in Berlin. Leonard is on wake-up duty. He's asked by Anna Lossa whether he slept like a baby because of his safety, but he said he didn't, even despite the €10,000 bid. Anna Lossa says it's been a while since she had a man in his underwear in her room, and funnily enough, when he wakes Sven up, so does Sven. <laughs> and Philip's ankle's apparently been playing up since they were in the Alps, so the other three leave without him. And they're on their way to Friedrichswalde, a big forest a couple of hours away from Berlin. Yeah, this game ain't no joke if you have to get medical attention for a challenge that happened several rounds ago. I think this is the first time in Belgian Reboot that we've actually seen anyone receive medical attention. Yeah, other than maybe Tebold getting, probably getting medical attention after he refused to dangle over the water. Yeah, I don't think we actually saw any of that, though. It just kind of cut between Thibaut hanging off the bridge and then Thibaut being on the boat. I don't actually think we saw him get any medical attention for blacking out while hanging off a bridge. No, but I, you just assume it's implied. But yeah, this is the first time we do see some, someone at the doctor's office. And Gilles meets them at Friedrichswalde and tells them that today's challenge pay tribute to the Brothers Grimm, two of Germany's most famous sons. They have to split into two storytellers and Hansel and Gretel. And given Lennis and Anna Lotta look a little bit like Hansel and Gretel, they take that role quickly. <laughs> they actually do. They really do, and I... I actually wrote that down before anyone said it in the episode. I think Sven said it to them. Uh, he said, you do kind of look a little bit like Hansel and Gretel, so you guys just do it. I'll be a storyteller with Philip. Yeah, it's a very. It's also a very odd scenario that even at the start of the challenge, they have to decide who's what role without Philip present. Imagine if they'd accidentally picked Philip for Hansel and Gretel, though. And he'd have to walk all that way? Yeah, he had to walk eight kilometres. He had to do that regardless, though. Yeah, but he had to do it in the presence of Sven, who probably forced him along a little bit. So Gilles gives Hansel and Gretel a map and a knapsack, and takes Sven the other way, and they skip into the fairy tale forest, which in any other episode probably would have been our banner, would have been them skipping into the forest. However, this one has two much better screenshots, one of which you've already seen, and one of which I have to give credit to Matt Clemson, because in any other episode, that would have been the banner instead. We'll get to that very soon. I will I will say that it looked, the fact that they had Izzy walking with them, it made it look more like Wizard of Oz than it did Hansel and Gretel. It really did. They were skipping down the path into the fairy tale forest, and it did look like Anna Lotta was Dorothy and Leonard was the Scarecrow. That's what I wrote down to. <laughs> and then Izzy, Izzy is Toto. <laughs> So Hansel and Gretel have to follow a path on the map to a villa on the other side of the forest, leaving pebbles to mark the route. Later, Sven and Philip will have to retrace their steps without the aid of a map, and they only have a limited amount of pebbles, so they have to ration them. I wish the pebbles had pictures of pebbles from the Flintstones painted on them. Follow the pebbles. Have you heard the rebooting Flintstones? A lot of things are being rebooted lately. It's for one of the streaming services. It's called Bedrock, I think. It's still animated. It's not a complete abomination, but it's uh, it's a reboot that was announced in the past week, I think. What about the Mall USA being rebooted? Yeah. We've been discussing this in the past couple of days because I'm genuinely a little bit concerned that if we commit to doing Mall US, which we're not committing at all yet, in case it isn't the Mall and in case it's rubbish, if we commit to it, it could really mess up some of our plans in the next year. Like, really mess them up. At least it's a good thing that the Mason Race 33 is not happening anytime soon. 
But the problem is if they air the Mole US reboot, assuming it is the Mole US reboot, if they air it when I'm worried they're going to, we're going to be very busy. Very, very busy, in fact. We're talking about three different moles in the span of two months. If they air it basically this time next year, we could be doing three episodes a week live. That's a commitment. Why not just do like what some podcast did with Amazing Race Australia and cover like seven or eight episodes at once? Because the mole doesn't lend itself to that. It's the same reason when we did the Belgian historians episodes last year, we didn't just do one episode for Argentina and one episode for South Africa. We do it right or we don't do it at all. So Philip and Sven are taken to a library and meet four children. All they've got to do to earn 2,000 euros is tell two fairy tales, Hansel and Gretel and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, in German. After each fairy tale, the children will be asked a question by Jill. Each question answered correctly will earn them 1,000 euros for the pot. And Sven begins by asking Philip to ask the children to be nice in German. Did you get the impression like I did that children can be added to Sven's list of things that he hates in this season? Yeah, because Philip has to modify Sven's behaviour a lot when communicating with the children. I like how Jill's even has to give a lecture on how to talk to children too. He's like, remember children respond to empathy? That'll really help keep them engaged because they will have to answer questions about what you guys do, uh, Sven and Philip. It has become a running joke this season of us finding something at least once an episode that Sven hates. I think children is this episode's one. I'm surprised he wasn't picked to be the witch in Hansel and Gretel. You just have Sven coming out from behind the gingerbread house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on in, children. There's more candy inside. So each fairy tale has some covered up passages. They have to fill in the blanks using either their knowledge or a bit of creative thinking. And coincidentally, the passages that are covered up are what Jill is going to ask the children about. Leonard says he isn't a fairy tale connoisseur, but he does occasionally read fairy tales at work because he's a child. And along the way, they got two opportunities to restock on pebbles, which will cover the eight kilometer journey. And they decide to draw arrows using pebbles to point Philip and Sven off the path when necessary. Which of these side challenges would you have wanted to do? Probably eat as much candy as possible. <laughs> would you have wanted to deal with the children, or would you have wanted to do the eight kilometer walk? I think I'd feel so pressured just because I don't really, even as a child, I never really read any fairy tales. I wasn't a big fan of any. What are the typical Canadian fairy tales? Do you have your own versions of them? No, it's mainly like Brothers Grimm fairy tales would be the most popular ones, but I don't really recall ever reading any fairy tales as a kid. My only knowledge of fairy tales would be based off of whatever Simpsons parodies of fairy tales I would have watched as a kid. So Lennox and Analossa find a house made of sweets, and for each sweet that they eat, they will get 15 pebbles for their basket. They say that if Philip was doing this challenge, the house would be gone in two minutes. And I also have to draw attention to something that Matt Clemson did mention in the Bowls Bar Discord, which is the fact that if Sven didn't wear a wedding dress and roller skates at the end of this episode, the picture of Anna Lotta looking at the gingerbread house would probably be our banner this week because she is so excited when she sees a house full of sweets. Seems like she was picking the largest pieces of candy. I don't know if you noticed this, but it's like, why are her, why, why is the candy she, that she's eating so much bigger than Leonard's? I must admit, there were some bits of that gingerbread house that I really wanted to try. That looked like my dream challenge. It's just stand in the middle of a German forest and eat all the time. Be funny if it's just something that's always been there, so all the candy was extremely stale. Yeah. 
So Philip and Sven get stuck on the passage about what the witch said to Hansel and Gretel. How are you? <laughs> How do you do? It's lovely <laughs> to meet you. <laughs> That's what they should have said. Can I add you on WhatsApp? Follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. So Anna, Lotta and Lennart have eaten enough sweets to earn over 800 pebbles. They decide to stop at 825 pebbles earned. And there is a lovely little one-second joke of Anna Lotta having Izzy in her arms, eating the sweets, and Izzy just tries to get some himself, and she's just like, no, you do not touch that. You will die. Yeah, I missed that part of Hansel and Gretel, granted my knowledge of the story is not very expansive. So you you missed the bit of Hansel and Gretel where they carry a dog with them and the dog dies from uh, eating too many sweets. Yeah, I guess I guess that happened in the story. So Philip and Sven get stuck on the passage where Hansel tricks the witch each morning, which is with a chicken bone that definitely won't come back into play. And a lot in line reach an area with long grass where they have to use a lot of stones to help Philip and Sven out. Jill then returns to ask the children what Hansel does to trick the witch. He pretends the chicken bone is his finger, but the children don't know that, so they earn no money. They then move on to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I like how Jill says to constantly clarify the question for the kids, because they just keep talking about the fingers, like, what, what, what we know, but what, what, what does, what does Hansel do, kids? What does Han, what specific, be more specific? Come on. Can't be here all day. I must say, Jill's German is very good. I don't know why I'm surprised by this, but I'm assuming Jill is at least reasonably competent in German. I wonder how much he practiced before filming this season. Because he's really good at responding to people anyway, just the contestants generally, but he's really good at responding to the kids in this challenge, in German. Yeah, he didn't do as well responding to the kids in the local languages in the South Africa season. No, but I'm assuming that Gilles at least has a decent amount of competency in, in German, if not fluency. Do you think he speaks any other languages? Well, he'll speak French, won't he? I reckon he's probably fluent in German. So he's probably he probably speaks four languages, being a swat. Gotta love Central Europe. <laughs> so Lennon and Anna Lossa find their second challenge, which is a mirror, alongside nine other items which represent classic Grimm's fairy tales. They've got ten minutes to match the ten items to the portraits, representing the fairy tales to earn their final batch of pebbles. If they fail, all they'll get is a loaf of bread to make breadcrumbs with. They match the pumpkin to Cinderella, and Alotta tries to match a braid with Rumpelstiltskin, which, if you know anything about Rumpelstiltskin, is nonsense. They then match the seven goats to the clock, Sleeping Beauty to the spinning wheel, a basket to Little Red Riding Hood, and the golden ball to the frog and the princess. And Jill warns his invoice over that there is only one correct combination, and some items can refer to multiple tales. They then match the mirror to Snow White, the braid to Rapunzel, and the golden thread to Rumpelstiltskin. With the time running out, they match Mother Holler with apples and a bat to the donkey, and it's correct, and they earn the last pack of pebbles. I would have been hopeless at this. <laughs> I think some of them you can work out. Some. Yeah, like the really, really basic ones. Yeah, the braid with Rapunzel, the mirror with Snow White. The spinning wheel is only ever going to be Sleeping Beauty because that's what she pricks her finger on, or Rumpelstiltskin because... As implied with the golden thread, Rumpelstiltskin uses golden thread to to weave, basically, in the story. So once you see the golden thread, you then put that with Rumpelstiltskin and the spinning wheel with Sleeping Beauty. 
Yeah, I won't. I won't, I won't have gotten. The, I wouldn't have gotten the the spinning wheel for Sleeping Beauty. There's no way. Depends on your knowledge of Disney films more than anything for me. I think four of these were never adapted by Disney, but six of them were. <laughs> That's the other chunk of it too. Yeah, because I was never big on Disney films as a kid. What was your childhood in Canada? Well, Survivor started in the summer of 2000. Whatever one of my older siblings were were watching, right? And they're, so they're not going to be watching Disney films. They're, they'll already be out of that phase. Land Before Time? Land Before Time is not Disney. But yeah, I just never, even as a kid, even like the kids' movies I would watch, I'm thinking The Sandlot, you know, maybe 101. Not, not once. Yeah, I didn't gravitate towards the Disney fairy tale movies because I'm thinking... The Disney movies I did watch, none of them were really the fairy tale ones. Because I was thinking 101 Dalmatians, Aristocats, The Lion King. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Sleeping Beauty. So Philip and Sven decide to focus much more on the missing sentences this time, to the detriment of the children's attention. Jill then returns and asks them what the evil queen tries to kill Snow White with, which is pretty much general knowledge. It is a poisoned apple, and they earn the thousand euros for the pot. And he then sends them off to the forest. Annalosa and Lennart reach the villa. If Sven and Philip join them, they will earn 2,000 euros for the pot. And they've got 90 minutes from when Annalosa and Lennart arrived. Sven spots the pebbles quickly and eats a bit of the gingerbread house on the way. And then Philip and Sven complete the first three kilometres in half an hour. However, they are on the grassy section now, where everything is a little bit less visible. Gilles then rings Lennart and Annalosa and tells them they can still earn money that evening. All they have to do is hide in the house and remain unseen by Philip and Sven later. Luckily for them, for this challenge, they can put Izzy in his cage. Later on, they'll have to leave their hiding place and make the villa appear to be haunted to earn money in challenges from Jill. Going back to the to the storytelling with the children, I found it funny that the one girl kept trying to correct Sven and Philip on how the story goes. They, 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 she was essentially Lisa Simpson amongst the four kids saying, um, that's not actually how the story goes. It actually goes like this, trying to help them to fill in the blanks and how restless the kids get when Sven and Philip were talking to each other. Well, that's what they really needed with this challenge, because I think I think it's fair to say the mole was probably told to take a bit of a backseat this episode, after Lennart's 10,000 bid last week. So they were always going to earn a fair bit of money, and I think it helps that they got a child in that mini-challenge where... She knew the stories better than than Philip and Sven did, and could guide them along to try and earn some money for the pot. Or the one boy on the far left who started getting really restless, and, and when he keeps glancing at the other kids, like, um, are, are these guys done yet? Can we get someone? Can we get someone else to tell the story? <laughs> can I have a juice box yet? Yeah. Can we? Can we go play now? This is getting boring. All they're doing is staring at blank words or blank blank page. So Philip and Sven find the path again with just under half the time left. Leonard hides himself in a chest in the living room in the left wing. Anna Lotter is in a wardrobe in the bedroom in the right wing. They have to remain hidden for an hour once Philip and Sven arrive, whilst also completing the mini-challenges to earn money. Philip and Sven do arrive within the time to earn the 2,000 euros to the pot, and Gilles tells them that Leonard and Anna Lotter are still doing their challenge. And as a result, they start cooking dinner, which is spaghetti bolognese with lots of vegetables. Do you think that I'm surprised that Annalotta and Leonard will have any room to eat spaghetti after they had 90 pieces of candy between them? Yeah, they had a lot of, of sweets between them. They must have been wired. 
Yeah, I was thinking, imagine trying to hide in a closet and your hands are shaking from the insane sugar rush you've had. Or Leonard has a sugar crash while laying down on the chest and he just falls asleep with 20 minutes left to go on the challenge. And Jill's just frantically texting him going, come on, you've got to do your challenge now. <laughs> so the first challenge to Anna Lossa and Leonard is to switch two paintings for 500 euros. One of them is in the room that Leonard's in, and one is in the living room next to Philip and Sven. And we then cut back to Sven critiquing Philip's onion cutting technique. And I just love the the contrast between this ridiculous haunted house challenge and then Philip and Sven just doing domestic chores. I like how they, they always say with reality TV shows that it's really, really boring 90% of the time because contestants are just doing everyday stuff or just laying around and doing nothing. And here we're seeing the most basic, just the contestants now have to cook dinner and it turns into this big thing for Sven and Philip. It's something that Belgi's so good at, just the balance of the absolutely mundane stuff like them cooking a spaghetti bolognese and immediately contrasting it with utter ridiculousness in the idea of a challenge being pretend that this house is haunted and scare the shit out of your friends. So Lennart picks up his painting while Anna Lotta keeps a lookout for Philip and Sven. They switch the paintings for the first 500 euros with Philip right behind Anna Lotta. And he actually walks directly past Leonard without him spotting. But here's the creak when the chest closes. The second challenge is to turn the oven off in the kitchen near Leonard, where the bread is currently being cooked. Leonard volunteers to do this one alone, and he manages it and gets back to his chest with the text, The Eagle Has Landed. <laughs> Anna Lotter is then given the second solo challenge, which is to put two dolls on the chair in the entrance hall. In the middle of the hallway, Anna Lott. That's my favourite thing of this entire challenge, is her thinking, yes, I've done it, I've got back to my wardrobe, and then Jill just texts her going, you didn't do exactly what I said. You have to follow the letter of what I said. Put it in the middle, Annalotta. Go back and do it properly if you want that money. I know you guys lost 10,000 euros last episode, but we still have some standards here. You're not being given infinite slack. <laughs> you know who would have absolutely loved this challenge? Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper would have loved it, but Noah would have loved it. Because if you cast your mind back to the premiere, one of Noah's interests in that very first challenge that we saw them do in Germany was the paranormal. He would have been shit-scared by this challenge. Did you actually spot Noah during this episode? Because I, I happen to have that in my notes. I did spot Noah. Yeah, he's not very good at packing hula hoops, is he? Uh, <laughs> that too. Actually, he had two appearances. So the first appearance was he was one of the kids who Sven and Philip are reading the story to in the first challenge. I'm surprised he didn't draw attention to that. Yeah, he's he's like, uh, I don't know what, what Hansel does with his finger. I don't know. It's a real shame that he didn't make it to the Final Four episode, because we would have made so many jokes about him only just having read all the fairy tales himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, just, he just does the challenge alone. It would have been the perfect episode for him, because he would have started off talking about his love of fairy tales, then he would have gone to his love of the paranormal, and then he would have been thrown off a rooftop in Berlin. So, Philip is only just behind her again, and he spots that the oven's been turned off and tells Sven, who doesn't believe him. And then she returns to her hiding place just as Sven enters the room, at which point Jill texts her and tells her she hasn't done it enough. So then she has to run back, even though Sven has only just left her room. 
We do, however, then get the payoff of Philip being startled by the dolls in the hallway, and Sven saying that he doesn't want to sleep in the villa tonight. <laughs> it's haunted. <laughs> what they should have done, really, is not revealed Lena and Analos's challenge. They shouldn't have let them burst out of the wardrobe. They should have just lured Philip and uh, Sven back and then let Analosa and Lennart leave and then pretend they've just walked through the door. That would have been way funnier. Yeah. Hey, guys, what did we miss? Well, we, we just got here. We've just been in the forest. We've been doing an extra challenge, but we didn't earn any money from it. Yeah, we were stuck in a cage and then we were able to escape. We had to throw chicken bones to confuse a witch. Yeah, an actual witch. Didn't know they still existed. And that would still be a more plausible lie than some of the things we talked about in the past few weeks. <laughs> so the fourth challenge is to turn on the TV in the living room next to Sven and Philip, and the remote for the TV is in the room that Lennart's in. Lennart struggles to get the angle right, and they have to go further inside the room to be successful, but that does risk Philip and Sven spotting them. I thought they were going to get caught on this one. They were so exposed. There were so many cuts when they're retreating back to their hiding places where you see Sven or Philip turn around the corner just a split second later. Thinking, man, how did they not get it just by peripheral vision alone? How did they not see something? Like, just a shadow moving you would have been inherently suspicious of. Maybe product- the production crew, when they're filming them at each of the locations, maybe they just genuinely make enough noise to where... The contestants don't even pay attention to it anymore after 18 days. They think, oh, it's just a camera operator. Maybe they're changing the mic pack or troubleshooting some of the equipment. So maybe a lot of the excessive noise that Analot and Leonard make gets excused as something going on with production in a back room somewhere. Yeah, I don't think you'd be able to get away with this challenge early in the season. I think you've got to allow them to be comfortable with noises in the buildings that they're in and stuff and be used to the filming. Yeah. Because I assume they have to make some noise when they're when they're doing the production aspect of it. Uh, what was funny is that Leonard actually was drinking a beer while he was hiding in the chest, thinking, "How did he not? How did he have the phone in one hand and then the beer in the other, and not have anything drop or spill?" It was wine, wasn't it? I thought it was a bottle of wine that he was slipping out of. What was it a bottle of wine? I think it was a bottle of wine. Yeah. And he had it over the span of an hour. How did he preserve his balance? He must have been shit-faced by the end of this challenge. How much sugar does that guy need? He just had like 30 pieces of candy and then and then he's drinking wine during the challenge too. That'd be a massive sugar rush. Luckily he wasn't the one who had to eat the donut the next day. So Philip goes to find the bathroom as they are just around the corner and they both scarper. Sven follows closely behind as he doesn't trust that Philip isn't the one doing all the changes. They return to the living room and Analosa manages to turn the TV on while Philip's back's turned. Did you spot what was on the TV? It's a very sneaky joke of what they put on the TV, I think. Uh, was it Spongebob Squarepants? If I'm not mistaken, it was an episode of the one-season DC wonder that is Constantine, which is a show all about a guy who does exorcisms. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that we saw Matt Ryan playing Constantine on that TV. And Constantine is... He's an occult detective. So they did. They had an exorcism show play when they turned on the TV? Yeah, they had a drama all about exorcism play on the TV when they turned it on. That's hilarious. It's a very, very sneaky production joke, and I'm very impressed that they managed to get away with it with no one else spotting it. I think I'm the only one who spotted that. 
And Sven says that he wants to find a hotel when he hears the TV is turned on. They go outside to look at whether someone turned it on from outside of the building. Maybe he thinks it's like Grumpy Old Men, where the guy keeps trying to change the neighbor's channel from outside his window. You just buy a universal remote and you have so much fun, you don't need any more entertainment. Now you're watching golf. So the final challenge for a thousand euros is to hide in the kitchen cupboard for the last ten minutes of the challenge. And Jill tells him on text that Philip and Sven are already outside, but potentially not for much longer. I was surprised Jill's would give them that much advice. That he was, instead of instructing them on the challenge, he was essentially collaborating and assisting them. Like Nav- Navi from Legend of Zelda or something like that. Oh, Papa Bear is so much less irritating than Navi. Well, just that general advice. I mean, in some games you just have to click a button and then you'll say something. As opposed to, hey, hey. Hey. Listen, look out. Listen. He's more Kaipora Gabora than Navi. He's the wise owl who helps you occasionally. But I think it goes back to what I was saying about I think production probably told the mold to be a little nicer in this episode and not sabotage as much. And I think production probably thought, well, Jill's going to be there to instruct them anyway. We might as well make him a collaborator rather than rather than an antagonist for this. Like he is occasionally in some challenges. And just how much it would have hurt if they did this final part with trying to hide in the big closet and then be spotted and earn nothing for that challenge. And they only earn what would have been just 3,000 for the day. The challenges, that would have been that would have been tough. So they do reach the cupboard while Philip and Sven are still outside. Then Philip says that he suspects Anna Lotter and Lena are already in the house and responsible for all the messing around. And he starts looking for cameras in the room, but doesn't see them, even though they're in the corner of the room. And they last the full 10 minutes and earn themselves the full 3,000 euros for the challenge. They jump out the closet and scare Philip, and he ends up putting a knife to Lennart's throat. (laughs) And then Annalot says, Philip, you look heart attack pale. I'm thinking as if Philip doesn't have enough health problems this episode as it is. Just be glad he didn't have to eat 50 pieces of candy in the process too. So apparently neither Philip nor Sven know the story of Hansel and Gretel. Philip says the mole has a conscience and took a back seat today. Anna Lossa says that it's strange Philip and Sven managed to lose another thousand euros today. And Sven seems to think that the story of Hansel and Gretel is all about ducks. Yeah, I wrote that down too. I'm thinking, I don't know too much about Hansel and Gretel, but I really don't recall the part about ducks. It is not about ducks. It's children going through a forest, leaving a trail of breadcrumbs, Finding a gingerbread house, witch inside, witch kidnaps them, puts them in a cage, is going to burn them alive, doesn't end up burning them alive, they return home. The story itself is quack, but it's not actually about ducks. So they wake up on day 18 in Joachimstall, but they are heading back to Berlin today. And there is a sing-along in the car, which of course, Philip manages to ruin. Sven says that he needs the bathroom, and Anna Lotta cheers everyone up by saying almost all men get prostate cancer after the age of 80. What is this conversation? Analata, thanks for bringing up prostates into this. Thank you for bringing up cancer into this light-hearted entertainment program. So the next time you want, you say you have to go use the bathroom, Analata's going to lecture you about your prostate. Happy, happy times. And they park up at Alexanderplatz, the centre of Berlin, and then get a call from Jill. He says there is 6,000 euros at stake, and each of them can also earn a pass frog. Lennart volunteers to go first, and Gilles says that he will meet him on the 31st floor of the Park Inn, the tallest hotel in Berlin. And I have to say, we do have a bit of history with the Park Inn Alexanderplatz. 
it has been an amazing race location before. I have been to Alexanderplatz. I have seen the park in Alexanderplatz. I believe there is a rather large decathlon store in Alexanderplatz as well, if it's where I'm thinking of. And I actually went there at the time when Decathlon was a major sponsor of Belgi, and I believe I took a picture at the time. To earn the pass frog, all he has to do is complete a mini-challenge which the others will need to hijack. Philip is the first to find out what happens behind closed doors in hotel rooms, and he heads to the roof 125 metres off the ground, and is laid face down on a harness. He is then lowered down to Lennart's hotel room, and has one minute to work out the challenge. Lennart has the same amount of time to throw all the petals from a bedsheet into the bin, whilst inside the bedsheet. And he gets down to one petal with 27 seconds left, but cannot see it, and bins it with two seconds left. He's like, can I not be stuck in small spaces anymore? (laughs) And then something quite interesting happens, because how did Philip answer his phone? I don't recall. He answers it on his watch. Yeah, he does answer it on his smartwatch. And I say it's really appropriate because I believe someone a couple of days ago may have had a Facebook status all about how they didn't know that you can answer phone calls on smartwatches. Yeah, so I guess I'll jump in here with that quick story. So I was just teaching one of my students yesterday, and he is seven years old, and he's a super bright kid. And all of a sudden, he gets a phone call on his smartwatch. And he answers it, and then he's talking to, I guess, one of his parents, because the conversation goes like 30 seconds or so. And I was just blown away. I'm thinking, A, because I've never owned a smartwatch. I mean, I've seen you wear your smartwatch, Michael, a couple times, but I've never seen you take phone calls on it. So I guess you have the settings switched off. So I'm like, what? You can do that? You can just answer phone calls on your smartwatch and have a full, clear conversation? So I was blown away by that. Number two, I was blown away by the fact that he was only seven years old and he's able to have a smartwatch that is capable of sending and receiving phone calls. (laughs) So I was just completely shocked by that. And then here we are. This was just four, maybe five days ago. Yeah, this was on Saturday night. So yeah, it would have been just three days later. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Three days later, after I learned you can take phone calls on a wristwatch, and we have a mold, the first ever mold challenge where people are talking on their wristwatch to the host. I have to say, when I watched this challenge yesterday and knowing full well about your Facebook status, because obviously I do have a, a smartwatch, I don't answer calls on it. I, uh, I just use it for notifications and stuff. I saw this challenge and was like, oh, I've got to mention this to Saunders. This is just serendipitous, given his status this week. Yeah, I was thinking, how is it just three days later in this exact thing? And it's like, I would have known about, I wouldn't have been shocked about my student doing this if I had seen this episode just three days earlier. Well, if you cast your mind back to the late 90s and GoldenEye 007 on the N64, Bond's watch is essentially what you can do with smartwatches now. In fact, I do have the watch face from GoldenEye as my watch face on my watch. As like the watch screensaver? As the like watch background you can set different watch backgrounds mine is the uh is the golden eye watch face and on the left hand side instead of your armor it's your phone battery and on the right hand side instead of your health it's your watch battery it's really cool <laughs> so philip is then rung on his watch by jill he has to try and help them understand what he just saw he has some band words which are pedal bin duvet cover and rose petals as well as the word erm jill signs off by telling philip not to leave them hanging if he succeeds in relaying the information, he will earn 1,500 euros for the pot and take away Lennart's pass frog. 
If he says one of the three words in Gilles Boat de Bolique, or the word erm, he will be dropped more than 100 metres, and Lennart will keep his passfrock. He then rings the hotel phone off his watch, because they're just showing off that they've invested in these watches now, evidently. Sven and Anna have to guess the three words that Philip can't say to stop Lennart's passfrock and in the 1500 euros. We have to talk about the conversation they had before Philip called them, because that conversation made me laugh pretty hard. Because Sven's like, I feel like we're in the we're in one of those TV shows where they interview celebrities in the hotel room. Who is the fat guy who interviewed them? What was his name? Ronald Ronald Lome? And then Analot's like, I guess so. That was that was before my time, but I but I do know what you're talking about, Sven. So I was thinking, so many insults, so many passive aggressive insults happen here. A, whoever this Ronald Lome Lome guy is. He's called Fat by Sven. He's referred to as the fat guy who interviewed celebrities in hotel rooms, who is apparently not known for anything else. And then B, Analot refers to Sven as an old man because she says, well, that was well before my, my time. I mean, I remember hearing people talk about it, but I've never seen it myself. So it's just another good example of how contestants can still find a way to be entertaining, even in the dullest of moments when they have nothing to do until their, their challenge begins. So Philip is very good at not saying the words rose petals, but instead elements of a flower given as a sign of love. He gets everything except duvet cover, but then says the word um, and drops almost immediately. Lennis is the next one to hang with Sven in the room. He thinks that one pass rod can make a difference at this stage of the game, and we get potentially one of the best Belgium moments ever. I think the reveal of Sven's challenge is potentially up there with the reveal of the ostriches, the drunk museum heist, Kathy's entire journey, the grave escape rooms, all of the big kind of Belgy reboot moments. I think Sven's reveal here is potentially up there with them because I have not laughed at anything this hard this year. It was so funny to see Sven roller skate across the hotel room, wearing a wedding dress, trying to eat a Berliner donut without his hands. That's not really my sense of humour. Oh yeah, you hate people dressing up in women's clothing, don't you? Well, I mean, it's just because it was just so forced by Amazing Race. I always call it the Bugs Bunny, the Bugs Bunny tasks. Yeah, because I didn't know what to expect with this, Sven made me laugh a lot with this challenge. Especially as it's about the one thing we've seen all season that he doesn't hate immediately. He can do this, but he can't dangle from the top of the building. Yeah, he doesn't do heights, he doesn't do physical contact, he doesn't do children, but he will wear a wedding dress and roller skates and try and eat a donut without his hands. Yeah, that, that's, that, that falls within his parameters of his abilities. I wonder if Ronald Lomé's ever done that. From what we've heard, they'll need a bigger wedding dress. And I only have one note on the entire sub-challenge from Sven, which is just, this show is weird. Where did this idea come from? There are a lot of weird ideas with this challenge. I guess that was the whole point, is try to communicate some really bizarre challenge and have other people guess it but it's just the most extreme version of the board game taboo i've ever seen going into this challenge i'd sort of expected phillips one to be the one that is most ridiculous with him trying to flick underwear using his big toe onto a nightstand but then we get sven rolling into our affections with the uh, the bill in a wedding dress roller skates fiasco so lennart's band words are wedding dress roller skates and berliner and four seconds into the phone call, he says the word erm and drops. I think it was two and a half seconds, because as soon as 257 hits, or yeah, 257 hits, it already 
flashes that he said a word, so it was pro it was three seconds or less. <laughs> the sentiment still stands, he's still a moron. <laughs> it reminds me of Milhouse doing the spelling bee, where where it's it's just him and Lisa, and Principal Skinner says, Okay, spell the word choke. And Milhouse Milhouse says, Oh, it's so easy. F. Oh no. <laughs> it's the same same thing here where it's like, okay. Leonard, you can't say any of these words. Okay, okay, I understand. Call, call them. All right, so this is the challenge. Um, oh, <laughs> so Anna Lotter is there to do a challenge. She doesn't think that Pastorog will affect if she gets through the test. She has to compete with someone in Noah's suit to be the first to fit eight hula hoops into a suitcase to earn her Pastorog. And Philip and Leonard decide not to ask any questions, so Sven doesn't say the word erm. Anna Lotta has a pass frog for now, but when the harness comes down, Sven is not in it, as he didn't want to do the heights challenge. So Anna Lotta just wins it immediately. Philip is the final one to train in a pass frog, with Anna Lotta hanging off the building. He has to use his big toes to land three pairs of panties on a nightstand within a minute while wearing a bathrobe. Yes, with his bad ankle. And he manages it with 14 seconds left on the clock. Anna Lotta has to avoid saying the words bathrobe, panties, and nightstand. And then we just get a really odd conversation between Sven and Lennart and Anna Lotta about what underwear they think Anna Lotta's wearing. Yeah, I was thinking, I, I, I was writing that too. I'm thinking, is this about Philip's challenge, or are they just curious what Anna Lotta is, is wearing underneath her clothes? Ordinarily, if we saw in a TV program we were covering two guys in a room speculating what pair of pants the one woman left in the season was wearing that day, I think we'd probably have a problem with it. But in Belgium, it just kind of works. Yeah, and Annalot doesn't even know how to really react to it. She gets really quiet, and then she's just like, no, guys, guys, you can be more, it's a more general answer. And then Sven Lennart's like, do you think she's wearing a thong? Is she wearing a thong? I don't know. We just, we just, we've just always assumed she is. I love how their immediate thought was that if Anna Lotta was going to pick any pair of underwear to wear, it would be a thong. And it's funny that Anna Lotta doesn't jump in to clarify that for them. She just doesn't know how to respond to that. It's like, are they fishing for information? Are they just bored? Are they curious? <laughs> They're just worried that it's going to come up on the test. Question 17. What underwear was them all wearing today? So she describes panties as an item that they wear every day at genital height, and her clue is so specific that Leonard and Sven then have to discuss what underwear they think she's wearing. She tells them not to think so specifically. Or picture her. <laughs> or picture her wearing nothing but a thong. And they get bathrobe and nightstand pretty quickly, and then get panties with 16 seconds left on the clock. Leonard tells her to hold on tight as she's about to drop. And they wait a good couple of seconds to drop her, but she does drop still, and it earns them 1,500 euros of 6,000 for the challenge. 7,500 of 13,000 for the episode, and 15,100 of 88,000 for the season so far. And they then go out for their last meal as a foursome. The lack of pass frog for Philip causes him a little bit of stress. Sven says he has a lucky jumper for all the executions, and they begin to speculate what Izzy's reward will be, and Annalotta says she hopes for their sake that she's there to help Izzy, but she trusts him in Leonard's hands if she's not. And then Philip's like, I don't care, I've had a dog for five years now, I'm sure I can figure it out. Guys, I have a dog too. Trust me, please. I know I've been completely untrustworthy for the rest of the season, but trust me, please. I know all of you are certain I'm the mole and are terrified of what I'd do if I was the one with Izzy. They speculate that Izzy's challenge may double the pot. It's got to be worth something very valuable, because this is 
because they introduce this in what the second episode third episode yeah the third episode they introduce izzy and then joe says make sure izzy learns how to press this red button it's going to be a big deal later and the fact that it doesn't happen at all and the next round is the final round of the game it has to be a big payoff for for the challenge to work will it be disappointing if izzy is just one component of a challenge to earn the money Yes, it's got to be, it's got to, because, I mean, the contestants even think it's got to be worth a lot if they've had to carry Izzy around to every task for two weeks now, and over two weeks probably, once they get to that challenge. And Jill says, this is very important that Izzy learns how to press this red button. So between those two factors, and the third factor that being in the final episode, it's got to be worth a lot of money. I feel like Izzy's challenge has to be a separate one. It cannot be one component of them being trapped somewhere and Izzy's button releases them or something. Or it's got to be the ending to to a challenge that secures a lot of money being earned. I would say maybe, maybe it has to be the biggest... What is the most amount of money they've been able to earn for a single challenge? Well, technically, it's probably the hotel room challenge in Greece in the finale because they were potentially playing to double the pot depending on how much um, Yolene and Bart spent and how much Alina managed to preserve in the room and count. So technically that, I would say. But I don't think there's been a challenge outside of like special conditions like that one. I don't think there's been a challenge that's been worth more than about 10,000. Yeah, so it's got to be at least 10,000 euros that's up for grabs if he's able to press the button. So it's now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least is out of the game, except for the mole who can never go home. The three people who survived this test will be our final three, and Annalotta, Sven and Lennart all have a pass frog each. Annalotta says it's ridiculous that they only got 25% of the money today. Lennart said the band word straight away, which was suspicious. She says that Sven's voice betrayed the fact that he didn't know that they were in the house in the haunted house challenge. Lennart says Sven didn't even try hanging off the building, which is suspicious. Philip gave a vague explanation as to what his challenge was, which stops money going in the pot as well. Sven says that when he saw the bridge on top of the parking from the plaza, he knew that he wouldn't do that challenge, and he also knew that Philip wouldn't succeed. Philip says they went crazy in the haunted house. They had no idea that Annalotta and Lennart were there. Who did Annalotta compete against in that hula hoop challenge? We don't know. I'm assuming it was just someone from production. I don't think it would have been a, a surprise cameo that they're going to reveal in the reunion, however funny that would be. It's Hans. Imagine if it was Jens. It's Jens's one challenge outside of Belgium. <laughs> yeah. He's been in quarantine this whole time. Oh, I know who it'll be. It'll be Salim. <laughs> Salim. Or maybe his, um, maybe his evil twin, Malice. Yeah, did we talk about the hula hoop thing? Uh, we sort of skipped over it because Sven didn't really do much in that challenge. Yeah, did, we, did Sven already have a, a fear of heights during the season? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, th I think we have heard about his fear of heights before. Oh, well, because the cliff challenge. He's had PTSD ever since then. Because there's one other heights task since the cliff challenge where he said, um, I don't want to be in that group. It was the plane challenge, wasn't it? He was like, no, nah, I'll stay on the ground. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, that was just last episode. Okay. So it does, it does uh, fit in line. Yeah, it tracks. And we we get really funny confessionals before the execution because Sven says, I am sure of who my mole is. And then Leonard says, I am 95% sure who my mole is. And a lot says, 
I am 99% sure who my mole is. And then Philip says, I am 100% sure who my mole is. Oh, I like how they had the confessionals in increments of who is the most certain about their mole. And then the even better thing is they contrast this with an immediate red screen at the execution for Philip. The only person who was willing to say, who was willing to lock in all 100% of their certainty is the person who's gone. All four of them admit to going straight ticket on this quiz. And I know we keep debating, do you go, do you spread on Final Four, or do you go on one person? Boy, oh boy, is a lesson taught here. I don't know what the right answer is, because we have been saying it pretty much all year. Go straight ticket from Final Four. You can do it from Final Four. You can risk it, but you probably shouldn't. But here's the classic case of, well, it's almost 50-50 really at this point, because... If you look at some other seasons of the mole, say Celebrity Mole Hawaii, everyone suspect went home at Final Four, and you think, well, if the guy in fourth place, if um, Michael Boatman had just spread between two people, he would have still been in there and definitely won the game. <laughs> I think it's a gamble at Final Four, because usually in Belgium, everyone is on the right mole by Final Four. Usually the final three contestants know who the mole is, and are just competing with each other to get the two spots in the final. In Greece, they didn't. Usually, I said. <laughs> well, well, let's go through this. Is it really? Is it really as lopsided? Argentina, Stein didn't know, did he? Because we had Hannah's choice, which is still one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Actually, that one—it was so good, just from our coverage point of view. Robin knew. Pascal knew. Yeah, Mexico. I think half the cast knew. <laughs> yeah, because I think Yoko was the last person to go home without knowing who it was. Yuri, I think, knew it was Elizabeth. And then you have Christine who didn't, and now obviously Philip doesn't. And then, uh, I think with the American version, the last, actually, the two celebrity versions and the final civilian version. So the last three seasons in a row of the American version, the person who went home at Final Four as well as, well as one of the two remaining finalists didn't know. And Vidim's had a terrible track record with people being able to figure out who the mole is for quite a while now, where they've typically only had one person locked in at the end of the game. Yeah, I think at Final Four it's a gamble. Depending on how confident you think everyone else is, it's maybe a good idea to put one or two questions on someone else just in case. But then you don't want to be the person who goes home at Final Four as the only person who's spread. It's tough. It's a tough one just because it seems to be happening so much more frequently lately. Happening right before the final execution, especially with I mean, Vidim. We've had, we've had so many situations since, uh, including Georgia, where one of the finalists is completely wrong. And it was the same with Oregon as well. Oregon, one of the finalists, was completely wrong. Oregon has a brilliant situation at the end where the winner suspects the mole, who suspects the loser, who suspects the winner. With Oregon, they genuinely could not have have revealed who'd lost because it would have it would have let you work out what role everyone else played before the reveal. So yeah, Philip gets the instant red screen, leaving the other three as finalists, which is a very rapid scene. I think it only lasts about 30 seconds. We don't even get any preamble from Jill. It's pure silence from all three of them. Philip instantly walks out. Nobody hugs Philip. Jill's just walks Philip out, and the other three are just stunned. And Philip says he knew it was close to the pass for Oregon. He had a good feeling that he was right, though. Anna Lotta says he was always so confident. He knew what he was doing from day one. Sven's first impression of him was that he was a weirdo, but when they got to Germany, he realised that he was his sort of weirdo. Philip is glad that he got near to the end. He was always a father figure to the group, and he's going to the seaside to work on a revision of his book, and is very grateful for the experience. 
And for the second week on the trot, we actually get a post-execution scene. Last week it was revealing that Yasmin had also looked at the dossiers. And this week we find out that all three of the finalists put everything on Philip in this test. And then they're all like, I don't know what the hell to do. So next time the final three get Zen with a bit of yoga, which I'm already saying it now, the finale is probably going to be called Svengo's Zen. Before Sven wears a cone of shame, Leonard tries not to get a pie in the face, Izzy jumps and goes for the button, they toast to the mole, and it all comes to an end at the Meistersaal as the mole is unmasked. Who is your one suspect? This is tough because all three of my suspects are still in it after the last five episodes because I rolled out, I said, no way it's Samina, no way it's Philip, and Yasmin's too under-edited. And then boom, 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 they're gone, along with Noah. So it's like four people in a row who I did not suspect whatsoever. And Katrine. I didn't I ruled out Katrine really early on too. So it's truly been since the since Dami and Kevin got eliminated, my top three suspects have all made it through these last five eliminations. It's really, really interesting looking at our suspicions graphic that I use and that gets tweeted out every week. Because up until this point, I was three ahead of you in terms of active suspicions. Obviously, that's going to drop a lot when we actually find out who the mole is next week. But up until this week, before Philip went home, it was 13-10 in terms of active suspicions out of 14 potential, with Kevin being the only person I'd suspected who'd gone. This week, because Philip went, it's now back down to 11 versus 11. So it's really interesting. We are very evenly matched now. Obviously, if it's Sven you win on this metric. If it's anyone else, I win on this metric, I think. Yeah, I guess... I think I'm gonna go with Sven. Ooh, you changed him back from Leonard last week. I'm just saying, well, I've always... They've been my top two suspects for the whole... Like, three quarters. As soon as the double execution happened, I've had Sven and Leonard one, two, and I've gone back and forth for the whole season. But I'm just thinking... Maybe Sven's wager of 7,600 was to be high, but knowing he wouldn't be the highest compared to Leonard. And this week, just with refusing to even go down on the harness, that guarantees the 1,500 is taken out. During the fairy tale, the pair of fairy tale challenges, Sven really struggled with filling in those blanks. I think that was all Philip that earned the 1,000 euros there. So I'm thinking, hmm. Maybe Sven's the mole. And why couldn't Sven... I just wanted Sven or Leonard to be executed by this point, by final three, but it didn't happen. I will say the same thing I said at the start of this episode. Any of these three will be a really good mole. And I think next week there's going to be a big discussion between us about whether a good mole makes a great season even better. Sort of a reverse South Africa, where it's a, a mediocre mole that doesn't affect my enjoyment of the season at all. I think any of these three will be a pretty good mole, even by Belgian standards. If it's Leonard, I will have a bit of a problem with the 10,000 euro bit. If it's Sven, I mean, he's Bartlight. I really, really, really like him, but I'd pegged him as basically being the Bart of the season from minute one of this season. Yeah, he's been at the pretty close to the bottom with your suspect list the most of the season. I had him ninth in week one, and I've only had him in my top one, two, or three in one of the seven rounds that we've done this for. I only had him in in the top three in week two, and he was my third suspect that week. If it's Anna Lotta, it would make a lot of sense from the early part of the season. 
if it's Anna Lost, she mulled way more at the start of the season than she did at the end. Yeah, I was thinking she's done really, really well with earning money lately. Having said that, I am plumping for Lena as my mole. Because I've had him every single week, and I cannot turn my back on on getting a clean sweep on these suspicions. The problem is, if it's Lena, he's probably the most obvious mole I've seen in years, because he was my number two in week one, and very nearly my number one in week one. It's very, very tough to believe that no one has suspected Leonard up to this point. Because if you do classic hashtag follow the money... Leonard is way at the bottom. And it's just like, okay, if no one has been on the mole all the way to final three, if everyone's been wrong this whole season, it can't be Leonard then, because how does nobody pick Leonard to be the mole this entire game? The thing is... This has been a season, and I know we'll talk a lot more about this next week when we do actually know who the mole is, but this has been a season of the same people pairing up in pretty much every challenge. So you always see Lena and Anna Lotta together. You always see Sven and Philip together. And a lot of that skews the test results. If everyone was on Philip, then they're all going to score the same pretty much as if they were on Sven. And the same for Lena. If Lena is the mole and people were suspecting Annalotta, they would survive over people who were suspecting Philip because Annalotta is constantly pairing up with Lennon. So it's going to be really interesting to finally find out who the mole is, because on one hand, you've got potentially the most obvious mole in Belgi for me, in Lennon, given I very, very nearly put him as number one in week one. And on the other hand, you have potentially him, if he is the mole, being the least suspected Belgian mole ever, Despite sabotaging the most. <laughs> yeah, despite being the most blatant saboteur of them all. Yeah, because no other mole has been has been this successful with with taking this much money out of the pot. So that's why it's even tougher to believe, like, well, how can Leonard be the mole if he's lost so much money? How does no one suspect him when he's done so horrible at every at almost every single challenge he has done this whole season? I think the argument for Leonard is that going back to us speaking to Jill in two thousand and eighteen. They always want them all to be found. So if it is Leonard, and they know that nobody is suspecting him yet, he's been ramping up the past couple of weeks to be suspicious, and to try and get people to suspect him finally. But then he's done really well this week, minus the two-second um. <laughs> so did everyone else, though. That's the thing. The only money they lost outside of that final challenge was, was Sven and Philip. But the thing is, if they're balancing out the €10,000 bid from last week, if Leonard's mole accidentally won that price selling last week, then production seemed to be overcompensating this week to try and make sure that they don't end up with a terrible pot for the winner. So I'm not sure you can really take this week too much into account if Leonard is the mole. And I mean, if, if that's the case, though, I mean, if after Leonard having such a good performance this week, the mole might not be unmasked. That is a... It's very possible no one picks who the mole is for the first time ever in the finale. I mean, I'm one of the two people left have, I mean, they have a 50-50 shot at being right, so you hope someone's right, but it could happen. I think someone's unmasking the mole next week. Actually unmasking it rather than by default. Rather than by default, yeah. So on the first suspicions list, three people, Bram, Nick, and Reed, all lost their first suspects this week. Steve, Megan, and Mikhail had him at number 11, and Femke, Emil, and Kim had him at number 10. 11 people still have Lens as their number one suspect, four have Sven and none have Annalotta, only one person had her at number two, so if it is Annalotta, we will have an outright winner, thank god. 
the lowest score on the tiebreaker is now six points. Holgemat has dominated the season on this metric, and he is still leading with a score of seven. He is only one off a perfect minimum. The average score is 15.67. Logan is on 18 points, and I'm on 15. And in the pool, after three weeks of escaping it, Philip has finally brought my team down to just two people, Lena and Analotta, and Logan has Sven. Imagine if Analotta's the more. It's happened before in our first suspicions. Rob was not suspected by anyone as number one. Yeah, it's gonna. I think it's just gonna blow a lot of people's minds in general since Sven and Leonard have had so much attention for so long, along with Philip amongst his cast members. <laughs> and I'm gonna ask the final question now: Who is winning the season next week? I think Annalotta is winning the season next week. I think so too. I think Annalotta is winning the season because she's been getting the kind of I would say Yolene-style winner's edit, actually. She's been very similar in terms of edit to Yolene. I think she's winning the season, and I think Lennis is the mole. Have you got anything else you want to say? Uh, no, I think we covered it. I'm just anxious to find out if it's Sven, or if it's Leonard, or to be absolutely blown away, like completely shocked by a Belgian mole and have it be Analot. We are... Going into this finale, probably the most confused we've ever been for a Belgian Mole season, so why can't we be at that actual finale event? But I think we're kind of sold on it being one of Svenet, but we just don't know which one yet. Yeah, I was just, I, I've been suspecting both of them for so long, and they both have to make final three. That sucks. Otherwise, I'd be really, really confident going into the finale, but now it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Sven. I'm pretty sure it's Sven. And if it's but but if it's Analata, I'm gonna probably pass out in shock. <laughs> so I do have one final parish notice to mention, which is that this is episode 374 of our podcast. Obviously, we've only got two episodes of the year left, kind of, but we are still planning on doing more episodes towards the end of the year. We will also this year be hitting a milestone. We will be hitting 400 episodes this year. And we have no idea what we want to do. At the moment, it's currently scheduled for some time in November. That is subject to change, and obviously we'll advertise it a bit more beforehand. But we're basically opening it up to everyone now. Have you got any ideas of what you want us to do for episode 400? It will more than likely feature me and Logan and Michelle and Ant. But we're kind of a bit stuck for ideas at the moment. So if anyone has any ideas, hit us up on social media. You know where we are. And we will obviously give you full credit if we use your idea slash steal it. But... I want to see what you guys can suggest, basically, and see see whether you have any better ideas than we do. Because I've got an idea in mind, and I'm sort of not sure whether it's going to work yet or not. So I want to see what, what you guys can come up with, basically. So, with that being said, thank you for listening to our Demol Veggie Recap. We'll be back next week to finish the hunt for the brand new mole in Germany. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at logsofkwacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Natalia for the subtitles. We'll see you next week for the finale. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring.